The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. I am Father Corey Stika, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. Today, we're discussing the second episode of Star Trek Prodigy, Star Trek. Joining me today on the panel is Jimmy Aiken. How's it going, Jimmy? How do uh, how do you, uh, Father Corey? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Don's not here today, unfortunately. Caught, caught me off guard there, and I went into reflex mode. Yeah, not a problem. Well, I'd like to invite you before we start to uh, join the StarQuest fan club by texting StarQuest to 66866. Send StarQuest to 66866. So as we get into this week's episode, Jimmy, would you like to give us a recap? In this Getting to Know You episode, the ragtag crew of the Protostar gets to know Hologram Janeway and the ship that they've taken. Janeway reveals that she's a training hologram whose job is to run the ship's lower functions and to give advice to the crew of Starfleet officers about uh, the Protostar as they pilot it back to Federation space. However, the kids clearly aren't Starfleet officers, so they pretend to be cadets instead. Dal, who has assumed the role of captain and is acting very superior, thinks that the Federation sounds much too good to be true, so he insists on taking the ship wherever he wants and has a course set for an unknown red orb on the navigation system that Janeway unsuccessfully tries to warn them about. Dal also has Gwyn thrown in the brig, and she is completely unrepentant and is anxiously awaiting her father to come and recapture them all. However, Rock's vulnerability and kindness start to melt Gwyn's heart. It turns out that the unknown red orb on the navigation system was a dangerous white dwarf drawing matter from a giant, uh, from a red giant star that is about to explode. The ship is trapped in the local gravity well, leading to a dangerous situation in which the kids make multiple mistakes that only lead to the situation growing worse. But before they all die, Dal finally swallows his pride and asks Hologram Janeway for help. She advises them to stop resisting the gravity well that they're in and to do what is essentially a gravitational slingshot around the stars to escape them. We thus have the beginning of a bonding experience between Janeway and the kids. Meanwhile, back at the prison mining asteroid, Gwen's father, Solemn, and his robot assistant, Dreadnought, leave in a really massive ship, apparently called the Rev-12, in pursuit of his daughter and the Protostar. Dum-dum-dum. The end. Exactly. You know, one thing that was kind of interesting to see in this, this hologram in the beginning is we actually had Federation optimism again. You know, it wasn't the, the pessimistic federation we had from Picard and from Discovery, but it's actually, you know, optimistic and, you know, wants to, you know, bring all people together. It was kind of nice to see that. Mm -hmm. We also had that from Lower Decks. But, yeah, it is a much more optimistic take on the federation. And I can kind of understand. I mean, they let Dal, even though we know that the federation at least the producers want us to believe the Federation is really great, although there's actually an argument that it's a galactic fascist dictatorship mm -hmm. um, that, uh, you know, they let Dal express some legitimate cynicism of, look, the people who claim that everything's great mean it's great for them. 
and they are they they want you to to think that that they're good but that doesn't mean they are and it, really there's a self-serving streak in human nature where people want to spin things that they you know spin things in their own favor so we shouldn't take these federation promises at face value exactly um now this uh, obviously this whole opening scene obviously is to be an introduction to people that probably aren't familiar with the Star Trek universe of what the Federation is, what the Federation is supposedly about, you know, and, and all that. But it was uh, still kind of an interesting scene. You know, Janeway's the most decorated, one of the most decorated captains in Federation history, probably because she brought Voyager back from the, yep. from the Delta Quadrant. Um, oh, by the way, Father, before I forget, I wanted to mention one of your predictions for the series was fulfilled this episode. Oh, yeah. Last time you predicted that the end credits we saw would become the opening credits yes. in the future, and they did. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I figured, because they, they, the first see, first episode, actually first two episodes, it was a two-part episode. It just jumped right into the story instead of having the, the credits. So World's longest cold open. Yeah, exactly. Like the entire hour, almost. Um one thing I got a kick of this later on talking about about Janeway is eventually she has her coffee mug because, of course, you can't have Janeway without without a coffee mug in hand eventually. <laughs> and then, you know, of course, we're talking about the Federation and, you know, they're exploring the ship. And that's a big part of this episode is they're exploring the ship. They're learning more about it. We're learning more about the ship. And they get into the, the mess hall and Jacob Pog thinks finds out that the Federation no longer deals with currency. You know, we got back to this thing of we no longer need money. Yeah, they, it, and the way she said it was very careful. Mm -hmm. It had been scripted in such a way, it's like we don't use traditional money or something like that. So they she they tried to acknowledge that there there may be some equivalent, but it's not what Jankampog was expecting. And then when when and she says it in such a complex way because they're in the mess hall, and 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 she's and Jankampog the Tellerite is hungry, and. And she says, well, use one of these replicators. And it's like, oh, Jankapog doesn't have any money. Mm -hmm. And she says it in this complex way and he doesn't understand. So she has to gloss it with it's free. Yeah. Which you order something that sounds rather disgusting, but apparently Tellerites really enjoy it. Um, yeah. But it was it was it was interesting, again, to kind of see more of the ship to get to kind of introduction to the ship. We get to see the the crew quarters, which is pretty much a barrack style bunk room. Uh, see the captain quarters. We get to see uh, the engineering section. We'll talk with the two warp drives and some other drive that uh, we don't know we about don't, yet. No, yeah. One thing that I thought was interesting in the opening scene where they're Janeway is giving them the briefing about the Federation. She's showing uh, like a map. Mm hmm of it and uh, and so it's one of these you know volumetric display maps that fills space and it's got lots of little white orbs that may represent stars or stars or planets and murph the the giant daglo space slug gulps down one of the little hollow worlds which i thought was funny um also they do something in this that 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 I don't really quite like. So if you go back to um, some of the off-screen Star Trek 
you know, tie-in media. There have been, in the last couple of decades, there have been, like, maps of the Federation, which they never end up using on screen, or very rarely. Um, But one of the things that emerged from one of these map sets was the idea that the dividing line between the Alpha and the Beta Quadrant runs through Earth's solar system. So Earth is the dividing line between these two quadrants. And and it's kind of like the, you know, Greenwich Mean Time is, galactically is Earth. You know, this is where the big dividing line is. And that makes absolutely no sense <laughs> to have to have the quadrants divided that way, because that means for six months of the year, Earth is in the Alpha Quadrant. And for six months of the year, Earth is in the Beta Quadrant. And that is stupid. Mm. The way to do it would be to have Earth as the, if you're going to use Earth as the central central dividing line. Earth should be not between two quadrants, but if Earth is the central point, it should be the center of the alpha quadrant. Mm. And that would make a lot more sense on your maps. And but apparently they don't have people who think that way designing their maps. And this time we get a what looked like I didn't freeze frame it, but it looked like they gave us a brief glimpse of the alpha beta quadrant dividing line with Earth as the center or with Earth as the division, which is stupid. And Janeway in hologram Janeway is explaining that the Federation is in the alpha and beta quadrants. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, come on, please. I mean, I know that there are parts of the Federation in both of those, but Earth should not be the dividing line. Earth should, if Earth is the central point, it should be the center of the prime quadrant or the alpha quadrant. Right. Yeah, that's that's one thing. Of course, it, as you say on screen, they've, they've before now they've really never been that clear, and it, it's taking something like a land map, which is pretty static. In putting it on the universe, on the galaxy, which is mo- moving, you know, the, the things change within the, 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 the galaxy much more than yeah. they do on land map. So to, to give you an, an, uh, an Earth based comparison of how stupid this would be, it would be like taking the Greenwich dividing line, which is the center of the time zones mm-hmm. and instead making Greenwich, England, the international date line. So if you're on if you're on one side of Greenwich, it's Friday. And if you're on the other side of the you walk a few feet to the to the east and suddenly it's Saturday in the middle of your most important city, mm-hmm. you know, because um, this is like around London. Um, and that just makes no sense to divide a country that way. And in the same way, it makes no sense to divide your capital solar system, Earth, Sol between two quadrants right i mean obviously it's all relative the 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 quadrant system is relative off the federation anyways but yeah but which which is which is why it should be designed to suit federation interests just like we put the we don't put the international dateline in the middle of a major world capital we put it out in the ocean in the middle of nowhere and snake it around different countries yep yeah that's why the greenish mean time works so well because the opposite side of the earth is water from it so um so after we have these introductions like i said you'll get to see a lot of the a lot of the protostar including we find we find out why um why voyager can suddenly have unlimited shuttles because they've got a vehicle replicator (laughs) that apparently voyager had yes and their vehicle replicator apparently has no safety protocols built into it because (laughs) when uh because gwyn and rock are having a fight 
inside the vehicle replicator as it's replicating and it doesn't just shut itself down to avoid protect to avoid hurting them yeah it doesn't it just keeps keeps building and building even the point where rock has to break out of it uh break out of this building shuttle just to get back at gwyn uh who figures out how to turn off the gravity gravity plating eventually yeah and in the upside down so in the in the uh zero g sequence that we then have um we get some nice uh nice camera work i mean so called since there's not really a camera in this um but like we get an upside down point of view shot in the zero gravity scene which was nice i like that um also i like the fact that they then do a gravity slingshot because normally it's it's very hand wavy in science fiction when they say hmm we've been straining with all our might to get out of this situation and it's not working maybe we should just give up and that magically becomes the solution and it almost never makes sense i mean they try to cobble together some explanation for why stop stopping to resist will help you but here it actually works in fact we should go faster we want to use this gravity well to slingshot around these stars and get out. That actually makes sense for once. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, was, I was thinking about, okay, so in TOS and in couple in the movie uh, Star Trek four, they use the slingshot to go back in time and they, they kind of hint at it without saying it. Cause Janeway says, if you activate the, the warp, uh, go to warp in, inside of the uh, gravity well, it's going to have interesting effects. Yeah, uh, I and I tried to write down her words exactly there. This is a bit earlier where where they're considering that because their first thought when they're stuck in the gravity well is let's warp out of here. And she says, if you activate uh, the warp core inside a gravity well, it may it may result in dangerous and unpredictable effects. And that also is a nicely crafted sentence to explain why some of the time they don't use their uh, warp cores in a gravity well. And some of the time when they do, it causes problems. And other times it causes no problems at all. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, it coheres with the series inconsistency about whether or not you should go to warp in a gravity well. Yeah. So that's, they, 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 you could tell they were thinking about stuff like that. Like, okay, so if people are going to explore this later, of course, you know, with Star Trek, you know, fans, those of us who've watched quite a bit of it are going to say, well, wait a second here. If they do it this way, it's going to do this. They do that. And then it does sidestep the whole issue of, you know, okay, using the slingshot effect to do uh, time travel by just saying, oh, no, they're just doing it at impulse. They're not doing it at warp. So it's not going to cause that that problem. Yeah. Incidentally, there are science fiction series that take this uh, concept uh, and make it much more rigorous. In Larry Niven's um, known space series, they have hyperdrive, which technically it flips you up out of three-dimensional Einsteinian flat space into a higher space where you travel at a different speed. But if you activate hyperdrive inside of a gravity well, you are permanently flipped out of the universe entirely and no one knows what happens to you, but you never come back. And so if you if you turn on and there's even suspicions that maybe there are creatures that dwell in hyperspace in a gravity well that will eat you. (laughs) Um, And there's one novel that actually suggests that is true. Oh, wow! Um, but uh, but in any event, in known space, if you activate a hyperdrive in in a gravity well, you never come back. And so in terms of Earth, you have to get slow using slower than light. 
you have to get out past Neptune before you can turn on your hyperdrive. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That's one of those series I haven't checked out yet, but I, it's on the list somewhere, you know, the big long list of books to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, so now that we've kind of had the, the exploration of the ship, now we you know get to, you get Dal who he's, he's going to be the captain. He is, you know, he found the ship. He's the one who's going to be in charge. He's the one who's going to tell you everything. And that was obvious from the first episode, although I predict that in the future, Gwen will challenge him for that. Yeah, exactly. I, I think we're going to definitely see her uh, as, as we kind of talked about last episode that she's going to she's going to change and she's going to become a part of the, the crew. And we kind of see that starting. But but Dal, you know, immediately Janeway's hologram Janeway says, well, we're going to you want me to set a course to the Federation? He's like, no, absolutely not. They're you know, they're just as bad as the people obviously going off of his experiences of, of the mines, you know, they're just as bad. They just want to control just as much as, uh, as the, 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 the diviner did. Uh, so we're, we're going to go this way instead. And of course, you know, makes mistakes after mistakes, after mistakes doing this. Mm -hmm. One thing that also connected with Dal, um, early on in the episode zero is, is, so zero is the Medusan character and and a telepath and zero casually reads people's minds and at one point he's trying to read dal's mind and having trouble and then all of a sudden he's like oh i see what you mean because dal is avoiding something for some reason and we're never told what that reason is so um zero apparently detected a secret in dal's mind so Mm -hmm. obviously in the future we're going to have an episode where we learn what that secret that zero discovered is right and we you know we don't know what species dal is we know like i said we know like i said uh we talked about last episode he knows he speaks federation standard that's that's his native language so he probably is somebody who's from the Federation as familiar, remembers the Federation, but maybe has a distorted view of it. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, also zero has an interesting psychology. There's a, uh, when they first get into the gravity well around the white dwarf and the red giant, um, that's about to blow up. Zero says a dying star. What a rare, exciting way to meet our doom. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great line. <laughs> um, but you know, Dallas is part of his. Once once he's convinced Janeway that he's really one in charge, he has uh, asked. So does the ship have a brig? And has Gwyn thrown in there? Uh, mm-hmm. Which uh, later leads to uh, an interaction with with Rock Talk about uh, why they were on the mining colony. Gwyn thought that she that they were all prisoners, that they were all criminals. criminals. Mm-hmm. And she suddenly gets her first lie that's been told to her by Solemn revealed that Solomon told her that they are all prisoners, that they were all there because they committed crimes. And all of a sudden, no, they're not really. They're mm-hmm. they're actually they're actually there. They were actually there as, as the unwanted. They were cast off. And right. that you can see that starting to uh, change her mind. So, again, it'll be pretty quick here. I think that that'll change. And and that's one of the things I think is really good in the performance of the voice actress who does rock talk, mm-hmm. because she can put on this little girl voice that is very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And that uh, softened, despite the thing like appearance, you know, Ben Grimm thing from the Fantastic Four, despite the hulking thing like appearance that rock talk has, she can come across as a very vulnerable little girl. And that is played very nicely in a few scenes. Yeah. Very nicely. But then she can also become very aggressive and, 
she can not be somebody a tan- tantrum little girl. Yeah, because yeah. you know, <laughs> the scene in scene in the uh, the shuttle bay there is you would not want to mess with her. You can tell that she could she could hurt you pretty quick if she got a hold of you. Um, yeah. One thing we, we find out about Gwen is that she is impervious to telepathy. Zero cannot read her mind. And mm-hmm. that is possibly a part of her genetic inheritance. She inherited that from, from Solemn, part of her species, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, there's an, a neat line that just came to mind in this where, so the we saw at the end of last episode that Solemn, who was initially introduced to us swimming in a tank, it was another one of these Star Wars images, like where you have this clone villain guy swimming in a tube. Um, And we saw him get out of that tube and he was in a weakened state, but he was still out of the tube. But they don't know that. The kids don't know that. And so um, when... Uh, when Gwen threatens Dahl with my dad is going to come for us and he's like a guy in a tube, what's he going to do? Swim at me. Mm-hmm. And that was a nice line. But now we see him in this episode getting into battle armor of some kind. So he's got an Iron Man like exoskeleton to carry him around despite his weakened physical condition. Also, there was a moment again with interesting quote unquote camera work, because since this is computer generated, there's no actual camera, but um but there's an interesting bit of camera work in this episode where we meet Solemn. We get this shot of the lower half of his face in profile. So it's like we see his his chin and his mouth looking off to one direction of the um, of the screen. And it's like he just so needs to violently eat a chicken at this moment. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty interesting effect. Um, after the, the pro star left Mar, uh, Lars Tamora, we find out that there's riots, you know, that people up, they, they rioted because their little control bracelets had been uh, disabled by zero. He had, he had blown up the, um, the controller for that, for those so that there are riots and control was reestablished with minimum losses. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what that would look like. But of course, uh, uh, Diviner Solemn didn't think that was such a good thing. Minimum losses. You lost my ship, the ship, the protostar that he saw as his ship. But it turns out the tower he lived in was actually a ship. Yeah. And he says, make ready the Rev 12. And I don't I'm sure they'll give us or I'm not sure, actually, they may not because this is for kids, uh, but they they may eventually give us an explanation of what Rev 12 stands for. One of the things that occurred to me after I watched this episode is it could be an allusion to Revelation 12, where we see the great dragon in, that represents Satan. We see the great dragon, the great red dragon in heaven that lead that wages a war in heaven and sweeps down a third of the stars with its tail. And so that I wonder if is on if they're on some level playing on that, because when the Rev 12 launches, it is this massive ship that doesn't look like other ships in Star Trek, but it's this massive ship and it has this red lighting effect and we're about to have a battle in heaven with it, with stars and stuff. Yeah, that's, that is kind of interesting. That would be kind of an interesting choice on their part. It would be kind of surprising actually that they would, they'd go that deep into the scriptures, but you never know. Um, Yeah. I'm I'm sure they wouldn't make it explicit ever on Star Trek, but it might be just something the writers are doing. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if they fill that out. One, one thing that I did not like, 
so they have after they get the the kids into the gravity well of the stars um the kids proceed to make mistakes and that's fine How, showing them making mistakes and learning from them is part of what this series is going to do um but Dal gives an order because they're they're trying to lighten the ship so that um so that the um engines will be strong enough to pull it out of the gravity well and Dal gives the order to jettison everything that's not bolted down. Mm-hmm. And when that order is executed, they jettison all their escape pods. Yeah. And that's just stupid. It's also they're jettisoning all of their supplies. And I wonder if if there will be consequences to that like there would be in the real world. Um, maybe not. They may just replicate or everything they need, but, um, but having a jettison the escape pods is just, that's dumb. That, that should not work on a general lighten the ship order. And I'm sure they'll, they'll either hand wave that away and, you know, the vehicle replicator will create new ones again, or who knows, you know, yeah. there's, there's, there's plenty, you don't need to have a kid's show for Star Trek to, to do that too. So, I mean, yeah. One thing I did like though, is in the opening sequence where we have Janeway meeting the kids, she identifies Jankum Pog as a Tellarite. And he is, um, he, he initially is complaining about her and how hideous she is and how she has this hideously smooth forehead. And and she says, well, you're no Prince Charming yourself, Tellarite. And then that prompts him to like her. And so it was nice to see that Janeway, hologram Janeway, understands Tellarite psychology and can play their cultural game successfully. That was nice. Well, it, it was interesting because they... You know, in the hologram, they show the four founding races, of course, the Tellarites being one of them of the, the, the Federation, and he has no memory of it. He has no memory of the Federation. So it's clear that he, you know, again, he was one of those who probably came as a child and doesn't remember being part of the Federation one way or the other. Yeah. Now, so something that occurs to me in thinking about what we learned in this episode, it seems to me that we have a reasonable basis of conjecture for what the protostar is doing here um and what happened to the crew because it's it's meant to have a crew and a crew of adult officers so we know that my guess would be that after the discovery after sorry after the voyager mission which resulted in Janeway being highly decorated it was des- it was decided that this would make a or something, a controlled version of that would make a good training procedure for Starfleet crews. And so they designed the Protostar to go at least some way into the Delta Quadrant, and it's got a fancy drive to help it get back more quickly. But to go some way into the Delta Quadrant and then let a crew of adult officers as part of some training program pilot it back with assistance from a hologram version of the captain who originally did the mission. And so that presumably is what the Protostar is doing in the Delta Quadrant. And presumably the reason that we have all these Alpha Quadrant races here in the Delta Quadrant is they are the kids of the original crew. And so the original crew could be dead and these are their kids, or it could be that um, that they're at some point going to have a rescue mission for their parents at the series end or mm-hmm. something like that. That's, that's very, very possible. So it'll be interesting to see how they 
they play that out. We also see the Cation child again in this episode. It doesn't have any lines, but we see the, the Cation uh, on the mining asteroid uh, still continuing to do stuff. Just one last thought on, so since this is a kid show, it fits the format of a lot of kid shows of having a single recurring villain. At least it's set up that way so far, where Solemn and his assistant Dreadnought are the recurring villains. And that's something that is kind of a trope in children's drama television. I mean, I remember all kinds of Saturday morning cartoons where, okay, G.I. Joe is always fighting Cobra the Galactic Guardians, whatever, are always fighting this person. And on Lidsville, they're always dealing with hoodoo. And it, and I, I find this a little limiting. Um, I, I don't think kids need to, I guess the reason is, or part of the reason is they don't want to overtax kids by having a different villain every week. Who, who they have to introduce and whose motives have to be explained. But I don't, I don't, I don't think that's true. I mean, as a kid, I could watch Star Trek and not, they had a different villain every week. Um, and the, I mean, it's not Klingon general core, every episode of the original <laughs> series that they're fighting or running away from. Um, Lost in space was a kid show and they didn't have a, a recurring series villain like that. Um, and land of the lost did not have, re I mean, they had the slee stack, but they weren't the villains in every episode. And so I, I, and I suspect that I haven't really watched them, but I suspect that in some of the star Trek animated series, uh, star Wars CGI series is it's not one guy who's the big bad in every episode. Um, so, you know, I'm okay with having Solemn and Dreadnought here, but I've seen that formula of main big bad and assistant big bad used a lot in children's television. And I, it, it's not my favoritist thing. Well, admittedly, we're still kind of an introduction. This is yeah. like basically part three of the, the pilot and, or the introduction episode. And so it's possible they'll expand that out here in the next couple of episodes that they'll have an episode where they'll meet some other, like they'll run into the Kazon or something like that yeah. and have to deal with that. Um, and it's also possible that, yeah, it will just be the protostar versus the, the, the diviner. Yeah. And hopefully not every episode. Hopefully they'll have some other stuff mixed in. Yeah, exactly. So uh, one thing just wanted to mention is the intro hologram. You know, they, they definitely call back to all the different series because they show different ships. And you got the NX-01, the NCC-1701, and the D Enterprises with shuttlecraft, the Galileo shuttlecraft being one of them, and D shuttlecraft. Uh, you see the Discovery, you see Voyager with a Voyager shuttlecraft, and you see the Defiant. So they made real clear call back to all the different series. By the way, these are ships you can see in other series type of deal. Mm -hmm. So... By the way, uh, to close out, I, I gather we were closing out, yeah. Oh, yeah. but uh, we might want to comment on the title of this episode, Starstruck, mm -hmm. because the natural meaning of it would be they're being starstruck by the appearance of Janeway, you know, uh, who is a star from Star Trek that we previously know. And so that could be an aspect of the title. But also there's the white dwarf and the red giant that are the big dangers in this episode. So they're in danger of striking those stars. Yeah. Li literally being starstruck, struck into by the star. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who made it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including George U, Amy M, Robert H, and Father Stephen W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. That's it from us. What did you think of Star Trek? Starstruck. Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media, or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Prodigy. Until Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Tom. Uh, thanks, Father Corey, <laughs> and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Father Corey Stika. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, a dying star, what a rare and exciting way to meet our doom. Doom.